When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. I've created a place you can go to anytime you need to take a break from everyday life and work. A place you can always count on for a great story. And it's called 1001 Stories from Roy's Diner. Or simply, Roy's Diner. It's just up ahead on the right. On the menu tonight at Roy's Diner, the very best of 50s vintage suspense, thriller, and sci-fi radio. We're inviting you to stop in for a story or two. The caffeine here is included in the story. And now, two stories for your entertainment. All we ask is that you share them with others and send us a review when you can. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines with xylene, rich lube, all-weather motor oil, and other famous petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. to an old-time whaling ship in the Pacific and the story of the desperation and murderous violence of the men who sailed her. As Bud Nelson tells it in his exciting tale, Yellow Wake. Panama. Great chests of gold. The end of Sanford's rainbow. Stupid Sanford. Whiskey loose Sanford. And he put it right in my hand. I, his boast of an ancient book and a chart of buried treasure reeked of whiskey. Till he flashed that poke of pieces of eight in the San Francisco saloon. And I took care of the rest. There was no time before I was walking up the gangplank of his ship, the whaling vessel Congo Queen. Knocking on the door of the captain's cabin. Who's there? Captain Thixton. Aye. What is this? Fine watch I have that lets strangers board without challenge. Maybe your anchor watch is a little loose, Captain. But I'll tighten it. My name's Love. Jonas Love. Love, is it? What's your business aboard? I'm your new first mate. Where's Sanford? He won't be coming back. Sanford jumped ship? I don't believe it. Jumping for dead, Captain. Shot, sir. Shot in a brawl. Aye, whiskey, no doubt. I'd warned him. It had to happen someday. You were a friend? For a time. Whiskey makes all men friends. Or enemies. I shot him. You shot him? You shoot my mate and you got the sand to come here telling me about it? I shot him in the smoke of his own gun, Captain. In San Francisco, that's a fair contest. I want his job. You want his job, eh? You kill a man and ask for his job. What sort do you take me for that I'd take you on in the light of what you tell me? For an intelligent man, Captain. One who won't pass up a chance to take on a better man than Sanford. He won't find another qualified mate on the California coast. You got a good deal of talk, Mr. Love, but talk don't run a whaler. A ship's a ship, sir, whether she runs whale oil or slaves. Well, now you want to change the diggings. Where's your papers? Papers don't run a vessel anymore and talk. 
Here. You'll find I speak the truth. Hmm. Well, maybe we can come to terms. Where's your gear? Sanford won't need his. What? Mr. Love, you've gotten on common gall. You kill a man, ask for his job, and now you take his very worldly possessions. I scarce think you'd stop at his wife. <laughs> Did he have one? Well, it's a fair thing he didn't. You're a heartless man, Mr. Love, and I don't admire you for it. But it takes a heartless man to run this crew. I dare say there's worse ones on board. Get your men in hand, Mr. Love. We sail in half the hour. South's the course. <laughs> All hands on deck. Bear a hand below there. Starboard watch, man the captain. Port, stand by to make sail. Lively now, men. And sail! The Congo Queen was 300 tons between her jibs and her spanker and fleece in the teeth of the wind. A three-masted ship with canvas five high and the smell of her trade in her wood. I beat her to windward, cleared the bay, turned her south and took a fresh wind over her stern, trimmed and sailing free for the end of Sanford's rainbow. <laughs> Sanford. His birth was mine, the key to his sea chest hung from my neck. Secure inside his iron-bound chest was the proof of his drunken boast. Notes. More coins, green with age, a leather-bound book, and a parchment chart of Spanish legend. All I lacked was the name of the men who were in it with him. But I knew they'd show themselves soon enough. They'd be the ones who hated me most. Meantime, I had the whaling trade to learn. My life to guard against unknown men and a new captain to please. I joined Captain Thixton at the wheel. I've been expecting you, Mr. Love. Aye, sir. Belay the formality, man. Respect is not in your nature. You're right, Captain. And wrong. What's our destination? Well, you might as well know you're not just my first officer. You're a confessed killer, and this is the high seas. One false step, and you're my prisoner. The matter is closed. Closed it is, but not locked, sir. Our destination, Captain. You go as far as your behavior takes you. We, the Queen, and the rest of my crew hail New Bedford in time... First the horn and the 60 latitudes, God willing. 60 latitudes, huh? Ice, then. Aye, ice. But also whales, many and big. Sperm, blues, humpback. We should feel quick with luck. You'll see, Mr. Love. Secure the watch. Aye, sir. From now on, it's watch and watch. Four and four. Keep them moving smart. Tired men don't make trouble. That includes you, Mr. Love. Watch and watch. Four and four it is, sir. She was a tight ship under Thixton Still I added my bit to the squeeze I drove the crew hard Made them hate my guts and spit at my back They left me alone and that's what I wanted Kept my cabin secure inside or out While I fit Sanford's plan with my own Oh, how the fool could have waited I'll never know The cache of gold was described in his notes He'd been to the site from the Caribbean site Yet he sailed halfway around the world Because he needed four men Four men who were on board. Four men who would kill to put hand to my book and my chart. Well, we were fast hauling south. Had to tempt them to show their hand. The bait was the book with some pages cut out. A false rolled chart and an open hatch. We were in Mexican water, sailing hard on the wind. I was in my hammock, a tired dog, and sleep was a fitful thing. Hold there. Hold in your tracks, you thieving ape. I groped like a fool for my pistol, and my man got away in the night. He'd come to open Sanford's chest. Next time, he'd come to kill. Another week passed while I studied the crew. Four men and thirty, all keeping their thoughts in their beards. Some were mean, some were meek, some mutinous, some too willing in their work. Under four of those beards was Sanford's men. Another two days and Lady Luck sent me to my quarters in the middle of the day. I needed to fill my pipe. Uh, Johnson, uh, what brings you to my quarters? Uh, Mr. Love, sir, I, I was just putting things in order. I, I see. Uh, now, come on. 
Get up on your feet and talk. Uh, Come on up. Now, what are you looking for, Johnson? Uh, well, like I say, I... What are you just... hiding in your shirt? Oh, it's just a book, sir. Just a book it is, huh? Give it to me. <clears throat> just a book for certain. And what else? What else in uh, your shirt? Uh, ah, a land chart of Panama, is it? You read maps, too, uh, huh, Johnson? I was just... Uh... Save the lies, Johnson. You're looking for Sanford's secret. No. You might as well know that it's mine now. I know you were in it with Sanford. In with Sanford, Mr. Lover. I don't follow. You will if you hope to make any good from Sanford's plan. I, you'll follow me, and the other three will, too. Oh, you're talking in riddles, man. Riddles, is it, huh? Well, you took the bait good, Johnson. I've been expecting you to come prowling. I set the bait, and you took it. But it's wrong, Johnson. Here. Here's the pages that tell the story, Johnson. Read them. Oh, I I don't read, sir. Uh, Tannehill, he reads, sir. I'll read it to you, but listen well. Peleg, Sanford, 1838. It says right here in his own handwriting. Now listen to this. The name of the book, Sir Francis Drake Revived. Calling upon this dull and effeminate age to follow his noble steps for gold and silver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty thought, isn't it, Johnson? Right. It's a haunting story, I'm told. Uh, uh, Tannehill was to, to read it to me on uh, wages, sir. Save the lies, Johnson. Just listen to this where Sanford marked. Now listen. He keepeth a hundred slaves at least in the mines, each slave being bound to bring in daily clear gain, all charges deducted, three pesos of gold for himself and two for his women. Mm. It goes on to say, Johnson, that the daily haul, daily, mind you, was 1,600 pounds sterling. Translated, that's roughly $50,000 every day. Well... Now listen. Which he keepeth in certain great chests of two feet deep, three broad, and four long. Just think of it, Johnson. Caskets full of gold. Hmm. Now, you were in with Sanford, Johnson. What does this mean to us? Oh, to us, I don't understand, sir. It's just a tale to amuse. That's all I wanted, sir. The hours are long in the forecastle, sir. That's enough of your simpering, Johnson. <coughs> now, who are the others? It's your boat crew, isn't it? Tannehill, Bigsby, and Alcott? Why, you call their names with your dying breath. Be sensible now, man. I'm willing to put in with you. You need a leader, and I need men. And I hold the map in the book. When you're ready to talk sense, fetch your men here. Now, shove off. Hi, Mr. Love. I'll shove off. And Johnson... I'll kill the man on sight I catch near my quarters. Is that clear? Aye, Mr. Love. We know killing ourselves. You may not see the light of another day. Motorists, do you realize how many practical improvements science has given you for your car? For example, you get better gasoline because scientific research discovered xylene. Xylene is one of the highest Antinoc components in gasoline history. Xylene gives new high Antinoc qualities, new flashing power to gasoline. But here's the big news. Today, every gallon of Richfield gasoline contains xylene. Let me repeat that. Every gallon of Richfield gasoline contains xylene. Xylene for split-second pickup in traffic. For smooth, knockless power all the time. Moreover, your Richfield dealer offers you a choice of two great Richfield gasolines, both containing xylene. Get Richfield High Octane at regular price for the average motor, or Richfield Ethyl for best results in the highest compression motors. Each is a champion in its class. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Get Richfield gasoline with xylene. And now we return you to Escape. I let Johnson go because I needed him. I needed his men to be my crew to sail a ship to fight a jungle to move a mine. I thought I could wait till they came to me, but the devil's bait is a gilded hook. When it catches your flesh, you can't shake it loose. So I read and reread and traced and retraced in my mind, and it grew and it grew and it grew and it said, Gold. Well, we were south of Mexico, and time was growing short. I went to Johnson on deck and took a desperate move. Johnson? Uh, Aye, sir? This is your last chance. Show up tonight with your men, or I pick my own and leave you out. Uh, Now, don't be a fool. You'll kill it for all of us. All but me, Johnson. Well, I'll take you in if it's all right with my crew. My 
my men. Your crew, huh? Your boat crew, just as I thought. Do I use yours or get my own? I will talk it out. I'm losing my patience, Johnson. Bring your men to my cabin at eight bells or I get my own. If the men agree, we'll, we'll be there at eight bells. It was a long chance, but it worked. And at eight bells, they came to my cabin. Johnson, Tanner Hill, Bigsby, and Alcott. Well, here we are, Mr. Love. Come in. Keep quiet. Can you hear me? All right, belay the talk. Now gather on the charts. Now, there's one point I want clear. I'm giving orders, and they're not going to be mislaid. I understand nobody else. Any man who doesn't like it can talk up now. Mr. Love, we're taking you in. You're wrong, Johnson. As Sanford's, uh... Legal air. I've got nine points of the law right here on this table, this map, and this book, and the know-how. He's right. Stow the gripes, Johnson. We need a man with learning. How about it, men? Yeah. All right, that's settled. Understand, Johnson? All right, close in on this chart. I'll show you where Sanford was wrong. Now, here, right here, was our position at the noon site. We're approximately 12 degrees, 30 minutes north, by 82 degrees, 40 minutes west. See where that puts us? Don't Not over four far. degrees off the coast of Panama, you see? Fine, man, but you've still got to round still the horn. the maps from the other side. Sure, the Spanish chart shows a bearing from the Caribbean side, but look, carry that bearing on across Panama into the Pacific. Now look where we are. Oh, well, we ain't a day well, away. Then we don't have to round the horn. Uh, Sanford never thought of that. No, we don't have to go through with any whaling. Look, between these two mountains is a saddle. That's the mine. Uh, the bulk of the treasure is shown on the Spaniard's map right here. At the highest point in this defile. Boy, that ain't a day's march over. Right. Uh, we can forget whaling. We don't have to round the horn, and this side fits my plan much better. What is your plan about the boats and all? Boats be hanged. I say, take the ship. What are you talking about, Mutiny? Call it what you want. This half of the world won't be a healthy place for any of us. I say, take the ship. Get the gold and head southeast. Yeah. There are lands, big lands, new lands, and gold talks in any of them. Uh, you got a good opinion of yourself, love. We're five against 25. 26, counting the captain. We can't take ship. You're wrong, Johnson. You forget we're whalesmen. We've seen whales every day lately. The order was given. Five boats out after whales would take care of 25 men. The captain won't take whale till we're south of the horn. He'll never give the order. That's the first time you've been right, Johnson. He won't give the order. But I will. Five boats out. Take care of 25 men, and I'll see that it's none of us. Five boats with salt in their water breakers. And no ship to come home to. Do you follow me? Yeah. <laughs> the current will take him to sea. From there on, it's Davy Jones' worry. We get the gold, head south, scuttle the queen, and as far as everybody knows, all hands are lost. Then it's every man to his own pleasure. With plenty of gold to buy it. I say we got the right man to lead us. My all's done with him. He is a smart one. Before another night falls, men will have us a ship. In a week, we'll have gold for ballast, enough to buy us a kingdom. <laughs> now, break it up quiet and mind your actions. As far as Thixton's concerned, there's nothing changed. And I'll still flog the man that fouls an order. Now, lay down to quarters, sharp and quiet. I'll pass the word when the time comes. All we need is a whale, men. One whale and the ship is ours. <laughs> It was a neat plan, and it carried fair. The watch changed. Day broke gray. Johnson was at the helm. Bigsby stood lookout high in the fort of gallant yards, all on orders of Jonas Love. I, Captain Thixton was lashed in his bunk. I saved him to kill him with the loss of his ship. The proud Captain Thixton, a prisoner of Captain Love. For now, we were whalesmen in search of a whale, any whale. It was watch and wait and watch. And... Lay to the helm. Aye, sir. Bring her up. Up. Hands up on. Rightly now. Bear a hand. Here on the port side. Four away. Have it clear. Four away. <laughs> oh, clockwork, love. That's what it is. I... I've got to hand it to you. Did you tend to my orders, Johnson, about the water breakers? Uh, and I'd like to see the face of the first thirsty man. <laughs> I gave him side meat, too. Good salt hogside to whet their thirst. <laughs> they won't last two weeks. Uh, They're picked up before, it won't make any difference to well, All we need is a Jolly Roger from our Royal Yards, love. Not quite, Johnson. Thixton's still with us. Tannehill. Hi, sir. Carried pair, sir. 
You got your knife, Donahill. Thixton's tied in his cabin. Make it fast and sure. Aye, sir. Fast and sure it is. Can I bring her about, love? You'll bring her about when I tell you to, Johnson, and you'll belay the mister when I tell you to, not before. Is that understood? Aye. Well, that's it. Bring her about, Johnson. East for south, steady as you go. Our next step is Panama, man. Golden Panama. It'll pay you to know, love. Now all our stations is equal. It's four to one against you. And all of us feels the same. Johnson, it'll pay you to know that the man who crosses me cuts those odds by one. Now fill out on your course. The wind took us east and the current went west, carrying before it the crew of the Queen. Five drifting whaleboats of hopeless men lay at our stern. A bow like a finger points to fortune's door, Panama. A land green-black with tropic growth and our treasure cradled in a mountain nest on our backbone. I put into fair anchorage in the lee of a point, paid off the hook and called my men. We ride out tonight here in this bay, men. Well, there she is, right up the mountain. The low point between those two peaks. There we still some daylight, love. I say move now. You'll do no saying, Johnson. We move now right enough, but we'll do it on board. We'll provision the whaleboat for ten days. Ten days? Why, it scarce looks a league. Uh, that it does, Tannehill, but it's a stormy course. That's jungle growth. We'll have to fight it all the way to the top. And we'll have no more crossing! Bigsby, look the provisions, load the whaleboat. Tannehill and Alcott, break out the forge and fashion knives from flensing tools. Make them short in the handle and keen on the edge. You three men staying aboard, you'll take up the work till oh. me and Johnson cast off. We'll need our strength. Us staying aboard? You take right, us for fools. You'll going. stay aboard. That's an order. The man who thinks different, step up and speak. Uh, you got the map, Mr. Love. The men don't like it that way. Well, what say you, men? It ain't fair. What's to keep you from going straight out the other side? Yes, how do we know you're coming back? Hold it. Aye, I've got the map. You're right. It's not fair that one man should have it. Tannehill, give me your knife. Aye, sir. You men don't trust me. You do trust Johnson. That's very well. So? Here, Johnson. Half for you, half for me. Now, does that satisfy you? Aye. Aye. Johnson's for us, fair enough. But you'd better come back. We'll follow you to the gates of hell if you don't. It's fools who'd leave a ship unmanned. You'll get your share when we open the trail, Johnson and me. All right, now, turn to. Bear a hand. There's a fortune waiting the dawn. The fools. Simple, arrogant fools. And Johnson, too. Content with a worthless half of a map. Landmarks in plain sight, the last and main bearing stowed safe in my head. Every bearing and distance to the final pace memorized from a thousand readings. Now to find the starting point. The rock with a face in Sanford's notes. Certain great chests of two feet deep, three broad and four long. Ponderous heavy. A wall of jungle to cut. I I needed these fools. Even Johnson for a time. Ah, jungle. Lush, rich, gentle. (laughs) Ah, it's a trap. A slimy, stinking, creeping green trap. Hold up, Johnson. Fetch up the water. Ah, the bugs. The heat. Green snail. Uh, take the lead, Johnson. No. No man can keep this up. I say belay it and rest. We need a strength. Move, move on, Johnson. We've hacked half a day and we're not a cable's length from the sea. Take the lead. Well, not last. We hold this pace. Uh, look at the blasted insects. They hang in clouds. I say make camp. Likely tomorrow we'll get a second wind. We'll get it on the move, Johnson. There's still three hours of day. Now take the lead and swing that knife. Five killing days, it was hack, slash, hack. Move up the gear, creep on at a tortoise pace. The sixth day, the mountain fanned out on our course, and we rose above that green wall of jungle, and we could see the sea. The masts of the queen waved gently, not four leagues down the slope. The sea breeze caught us and cooled our brow. The jungle's web thinned, and we rested. We ate and we smoked. We've passed the worst of it. Another day at the most, Johnson. 
No more. Ah, you look bad, Johnson. Too much for you? There's a powerful gripe in my back. Don't be feeling sorry for yourself. I don't feel scorn to wreck myself. Now, take up your gear. No. We're moving on. I can't move on. You now. want gold, don't you, Johnson? Fall and you're right in your tracks. There's more for the rest of us. Now, move out. No. Nothing's stopping me now. The great bearded Johnson with the strength of two men. <laughs> he spent his strength with harboring hate, and he fell to blithering. His big, bloody eyes cast up the trail. Useless he was. Weak and out of his mind. Uh, uh, chop the lines. She's sounding. She's sounding. What is it, Johnson? You're drooling black. She, she'll get a thousand barrels if a drop, sir. Sperm whale. I, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Johnson. Johnson, do you know me, man? Hi. Captain Thixton. Yeah. You're through, Johnson. I'm moving on. The rock's in sight. I've no time for you now. That's due south 50 paces to such a point as... But... There. There. It's the cave. Johnson. Johnson's the cave. Sackwood's cave, Johnson. My cave. I found it. I found it. It's here. Great chests of gold. Johnson! Johnson, we found it! Chests of it, Johnson! Johnson, look, Johnson. I, I brought back a handful. Gold. Johnson, look, Johnson. Lord of mercy. Dead he is. Dead of the fever. And yellow as gold. His face, his hands, all yellow like gold. Oh, my hands. No. No, it's, it's not the blight like Johnson. It's, it's just gold dust. Uh, it'll wash off. It's not the blight. <laughs> my hands... My limbs, it, it don't wash off. No. No, no! It's the devil's bait on the gilded hook. This fever's the devil's breath. I can feel it now. Boiling out my bile and painting me gold. Aye, it'll cook out my soul and leave me poor. This fever, this devil's yellow blight. The good old summertime may be fun for you, but it's no picnic for your car. Hot summer weather and gritty dust can take your car off the road right into the repair shop. That's why it's important to make sure now that your car is safely lubricated. Get protection against wear and breakdown with Richfield All Point Safety Service. The Richfield gasoline dealer will give your car a careful All Point lubrication job using Rich Lube Lithium Lubricant. The new premium lubricant that stands up under the toughest use, that wears like iron. Then he'll change your oil to fresh, rich lube, all-weather motor oil. The oil that cleans your motor as it lubricates. And finally, the Richfield dealer will give your car a careful safety check of all the likely trouble spots. So why take chances? Get Richfield all-point safety service from the Richfield gasoline dealer tomorrow. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Escape was produced and directed by William N. Robson, and tonight has presented Yellow Wake by Bud Nelson. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad as Love, John Hoyt as Sanford, John Daner as Johnson, Will Gere as Thixton. Also heard were Paul Free, Stacey Harris, Harry Bartell, and George Offerman, Jr. 
Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week. You are in India, lying in bed at night, when suddenly a crate, the most deadly poisonous snake in the world, crawls into bed with you. The slightest movement will bring you to a horrible death, from which there is no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape with an unforgettable story of a night of terror in Bombay. As Roald Dahl tells it in his story, Poison. Be listening. Goodbye then, until this same time, next week, when once again we offer you... Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape, brought to you by your Richfield gasoline dealer and the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York. Marketers of Richfield gasolines with xylene, rich lube, all-weather motor oil, and other famous petroleum products. Look for the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. Tonight, we escape to India and the story of a man trapped in his bed by a crate, the most deadly poisonous snake in the world. As Raoul Dahl tells it in his terrifying story, Poison. Listen, it's an awful good story, but to get the point, you've got to understand about two things. What kind of a guy Harry Pope was and what kind of a snake a crate is. First, the crate. You spell it K-R-A-I-T. They're in India, the crates are, little snakes, sometimes not more than three or four inches long. You have to look real careful if you're going to see one at all, really almost like a worm, except that it's the most poisonous snake in the world. It can bite faster than a bumblebee, and when it does, you go off like a firecracker, swell up like a hot water bottle, and in fly the angels. Crate, tiny little snake. Now about Harry, Harry Pope. Funny guy. He had it in for anybody who wasn't American who didn't speak his language. He called them foreigners, and he called them that army word, gook. Didn't matter if they were French, Italian, or Japanese. Gook, foreigner, he'd say. It's kind of buggy on the subject. Funny guy. Well, Harry and me, we got sent out to Bombay in this construction job, and that's where the trouble started. You see, except for the two of us, the crew was made up of local boys, Hindus and Muslims, 40 of them. Harry was like a cat in a room full of dogs, had his back up every minute. After a month or so, it began to wear him out. Got so his appetite wasn't right. He was smoking three and four packs a day, and he wasn't getting his sleep. I used to try to straighten him out. Used to tell him he was wrong. No, Woody, there's no use talking Listen, to you. Listen, Harry, they're all good boys. Why don't you take it easy? Woody, you and I are good friends, but there are a lot of things you just don't understand. You ought to take it easy, Harry. They're all human beings, just like you and me. They're gooks, Woody. Foreigners. Look it. Think about it this way. How'd you like your sister to marry one of them? I haven't got a sister, and anyway, you've asked me that before. Yeah, you see? You won't even make the effort to understand. Well, that's how it was with Harry, and you know about the crate. Now about what happened. It was June of last year. It was hot and sticky, even though the sun was down. I was putting on a clean shirt to go out. Uh, oh, man, I'm really beat tonight. What's with you, Woody? What's the clean shirt for? Going out. What do you got, a date? No, I uh, thought I'd stop off at Dr. Ganderby's. He promised he'd show me the photos he made down in the leper colony. Ganderby? Yeah. These photos are supposed to be pretty interesting stuff. How about it, Harry? Would you like to come along? Ganderby? He's a Hindu. A gook. Foreigner. I don't want to spend no evening with a gook. 
Shoot, not old Harry. So I went off to the doctor's, and Harry went to bed with the detective story. I had a very interesting evening. Later, old Harry was plenty sorry that he stayed home. I didn't leave the doctor's until around midnight, and when I drove back through the sleeping city, it was very quiet and dark. I thought about the pictures of the lepers I'd seen. I remember thinking, I hope Harry's awake because I'd like to tell him about those pictures. And when I got home, I was glad to see the light in his room was still burning. Harry, you up? I didn't get an answer. Probably fell asleep reading. Harry, you awake, Harry? Shh. Woody, stop yelling. Harry boy, what's the matter, kid? Shh. Stop, Woody. Take off your shoes. I couldn't tell what was the matter, but I knew he was serious, whatever it was about, so I did what he wanted. He was in bed, under his netting, with a reading light on, his book on the floor. He lay quite still, and the sheet came halfway up his chest. He was wearing those corny pajamas of his with the big checks all over him. And the pajamas were soaked in the sweat that was rolling off his face. He lay like a corpse, flat on his back, with his hands lying dead on the bed. His hands, even the backs of them, were sweating. His eyes looked like he was watching somebody saw his leg off. Woody, what's the matter, boy? Crepe. Crepe? Where? Shh, for Mary's sake, shh. Where? Where's the crepe? In here. Under the netting? No. Under the sheet. Where'd it bite you? It hasn't. Yet. Where under the sheet? Right on my belly. Holy son of You can wake it up if you don't cut out the yellow. How'd it get in there? I don't know. Came up under the net, and I guess. But it's been in a bed all day. Is it a big one? No. Crate don't have to be big. Looked about three or four inches. Come along my side. I didn't move. It went under the sheet. In one of them folds. One of them wrinkles there over my belly. How long ago did it come? Hours. Hours and hours and days and weeks. Woody, I've been waiting a year for you to get home. It must be sleeping in there, huh? Yeah, I think it is. All right, now listen, Harry. Maybe it'll wake up and go away. Go home or something, huh? I, I can't wait, Woody. I've been lying here scared I'd move sudden and wake it up. Yeah, you're scared and it'll bite. I've been lying here scared to death I'd cough. All right, don't you worry about a thing, Harry. I know just what to do. Where you going, Woody? Don't leave me. The thing was to be ready to cauterize the bite right away. I'd heard about one method. I went out to the kitchen, and I got a whole fistful of those big kitchen matches, and I took them back to the bedroom, arranged them all with the heads together, held them like you'd hold a torch. What are you going to do? What are the matches for? Now, listen, Harry, here's how it goes. These will cauterize, see? So we count three, flip back the sheet, and you jump out of bed. Now, you follow me? You're out of your mind. No, no, listen, Harry. If the crate bites you, I strike the bundle and press it against the spot, and it burns out the poison, see? While the matches... Get away from me. You're a bubble-headed maniac. No, Harry, I'm only trying to... Listen, Woody, take your matches and your bright ideas and get the heck out of here. Call the doctor. The doctor? I never thought of that. Shh. Now get to it. Okay, Harry. Who do you want? Ganderby or Forsyth? Forsyth. Things are bad enough without you. Gotta bring that gook in here. I dug through the telephone book and I found Dr. Matson B. Forsyth's number and I dialed it. Let me speak to the doctor. It's very urgent. Who is calling, please? Arthur Woods. Who? Woods. Arthur Woods. Spell, please. Woods. W. W. O. 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 You have already said O. I have already written O. Have the kindness to give me the next letter, please. O. It's O after O. Please? Look, my name is Woods. Spell, please. W-O-O-D-D-S, Woods. Woods, W-O-O-D-S. Mr. Woods. That's right, that's just right. Now, let me speak to the doctor, please. Sorry, doctor not in. Call tomorrow. 
Across the room, Harry lay very still, sweating, trying to keep every muscle relaxed. His face was beginning to twitch a little. I was scared. If that twitch should spread, I called the doctor's house again. Please, I do not understand. Look, I said if you don't tell me where the doctor is, I'm going to come over there and pull your arms off, and then I'm going to take you by the neck and... The doctor is at the club, please. What club? The country club. Ring 673... Harry lay very still, fighting the twitches, trying to keep from jumping out of his skin, while I waited for the bartender at the club to locate Dr. Forsythe. After about five minutes of nothing, I got this. Are you there? Listen, doctor, you got to get over here right away. This is Arthur Woods, and my partner, he's got a snake in the bed with him. Doctor? <coughs> uh, would you mind repeating that, old boy? I said snake. He's got a snake in the bed with him. Snake? Oh, jolly, jolly. I say, who is this? Is this Captain Smythe speaking? Please, Doctor, you've got to get over here right away. It's urgent. Smythe, you can't. You don't fool me. Not for an instant, you don't. Oh, please, Doctor. <laughs> snake in bed. <laughs> Listen, is this Dr. Forsythe speaking? I say, of course not. It's Colonel Harcourt. Oh, well, let me speak to the doctor, please. Oh, but you can't, old fellow. Why not? Why, he's jolly well passed out, don't you know? Passed out. Like a mackerel. <laughs> Snake in the... Ah. Listen, Harry. you got to forget all this prejudice stuff. Gander buys your only chance. No. No, he, he's a gook. He went to Oxford, Harry. He's a gook. It's him or the undertaker. He's a gook. I'm going to call him, Harry. All right. Go ahead, call him. But he's a gook. <laughs> I called him, and when I mentioned Crate, he was quiet for a good ten seconds, and then he said he'd be right over, and he was within five minutes. He was wearing felt slippers, and he moved silently into the bedroom. He was carrying his black satchel, and when I saw the lamplight glinting softly in his steel-rimmed spectacles, saw his wise, gentle eyes, his bald brown head, I thought to myself, why, he looks just like Mahatma Gandhi. He looked silently at Harry and smiled encouragingly. Harry looked at him, looked at me, and looked away. Now, first we must very carefully remove the netting from about the bed. Mr. Pope, I want you to pay no attention to us. You are to concentrate on being very quiet, on letting the little snake sleep. It is a very little snake, and it, it is very tired. You must tell yourself this. And you must believe it is necessary for it to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Wood, help me lift the netting very slowly. Yeah. Up. Uh, up. Good, good. What are you going to do for shh, me? Shh, Think about the little snake. What do you think I'm thinking about? What are you going to do for me? The snake. It is here. It's in one of those folds over his... Abdomen, Doctor. Uh, now we all know where it is. Shh, shh. Pretend you are the mother of the little snake. You are keeping it warm. It, it is sleeping. That is good. Just so as it don't wake up and want breakfast. You joke? That is good. I wish I was back home in the good old USA. Now then. What are you going to do, Doctor? I have a serum here. We will inject it into the blood of Mr. Pope. Then, as he puts it, the little snake may breakfast to his heart's content without harm to... without harm to Mama. His hands were brown and slender and astonishingly deft. He poked the hypodermic into a capsule of thick yellowish stuff, the serum, and then with infinite care he drew the plunger slowly and steadily upward. The glistening chamber filled. He withdrew the needle, laid the hypodermic down, and then, with all the gentleness in the world, he began to fold back Harry's sleeve. It was as though he were folding rare old lace. He inched the sleeve carefully, under and up Harry's arm, until the vein came into view. I'm going to fasten a tourniquet on your arm now. It will be just above the elbow. Do not move your arm. Do not twitch your muscle. Gently, gently he tightened the rubber tourniquet, and Harry's arm began to flush dark. The vein began to swell, blue and tight. Harry kept his eyes on the ceiling. 
Now I'm going to insert the needle in the vein. You must not react. By that I mean you must not tend your abdominal muscles. Believe me, Mr. Pope, this will not hurt. Very carefully, he placed the syringe almost flat against the arm, slid the needle in sideways through the skin and into the blue vein, slid it slowly but so firmly that it went in smooth, smooth as a knife going into a cheese. Doc, shh, shh. You're good, aren't you, Doc? You must believe that. You're gonna let me die, are you, Doc? I'm your friend. You must believe that. Are you, Doc? You won't let me die. No, no, I will not let you die. Now, be still and think about that. With all the care in the world as he had pushed the needle into the vein, now he pressed the plunger down, pressed the serum through the needle and into Harry Pope's body. I watched Harry. His eyes were on the wise, gentle face of Dr. Ganderby. His eyes wanted desperately to believe what Ganderby had told him. Now the hypodermic was empty, and slowly it was withdrawn. And then slowly the deft, graceful little hands loosened the rubber tourniquet. And then Ganderby looked up, met Harry's eyes, and smiled. Harry tried to smile back, but the smile jumped and twitched and died. You're taking care of me, huh, Doc? Yes, my son. Now, you must be still while the serum is pumped through your body. Be very still and be very assured. I'm your friend. The serum will save you. You will escape harm. He beckoned to me and I followed him out of the room and out onto the dark porch. The air was heavy and hot. Ganderby stared out at the blackness, drummed his fingers softly on the railing. Your... Your friend is in grave danger. Yeah, but the serum. You gave him the serum. I gave him the serum. It... It isn't any good. It is the finest known to medical science. And it is worthless. To most of us, science is something strange and mysterious. We think of magic medicines and supersonic planes. But here's a scientific achievement that's as real as your car and as near as your Richfield dealer. It's xylene, one of the highest Ananoc gasoline components ever discovered by scientific research. And xylene can benefit you today because every gallon of Richfield gasoline now contains xylene. Xylene to give your car that smooth, knockless power that eats up the miles. Xylene for that swift, eager response you need in traffic. Furthermore, there's a Richfield gasoline to fit your motor. Your Richfield dealer offers two great Richfield gasolines, both with xylene. Get Richfield high-octane at regular price for the average motor. Or Richfield ethyl, ethyl at its best for top results in highest compression motors. Get Richfield gasoline tomorrow. Stop where you see the Richfield Eagle on the cream and blue pumps. And now we return you to... Escape. So there it was. Harry Pope, the man who had been an enemy of anyone and everyone who didn't come from his country or speak his language, was now halfway through death's door. And his only hope lay in a Dr. Ganderby of another race, another creed, another country, and another color. Now, for the first time in his life... Harry had made a gesture of friendship toward a person of another race. First time. And it seemed to me the last. No, my friend. The serum is worthless. What can we do then? The snake is bound to wake sooner or later. Harry will move. He won't be able to help himself and the snake will strike. We must think. Look, I'll shoot it. I can hold the gun low and flat so that even if I hit Harry, it won't be a penetrating wound. I'll blow the snake sheet and all. Clear the bed, huh? But you don't even know which of the many folds and creases in that sheet is the harbor of the snake. Yeah. You might shoot the air. Yeah. You would most certainly wake the snake then. No, we can't do that. I... I think... I think I have a solution, Mr. Woods. Yeah? We will... We will anesthetize the snake. Yes. We will use... Nitrous oxide? Or ether? Or chloroform? I think the last. Chloroform, yes. 
We put the snake out right while he's lying on Harry. Is that the idea? That is it, Mr. Woods. Now, if you will please drive quickly down to my house, my boy will show you where I keep my supplies. The chloroform is in a bottle with an orange label. Orange label. Yes. Bring it back as quickly as you can. I will stay with Mr. Pope and try to keep him assured. He seems to like you. We all like the doctor when we are sick. I drove it as fast as I could. The houseboy at the doctor's thought I was a madman at first, but then he decided in my favor, showed me where the stuff was. I found the bottle with the orange label, smelled it to make sure, and then took off back to the house. I eased the car up the driveway and tiptoed into the bedroom. You're my friend, doctor? Huh? My pal? Yes, I am your friend, and I am not going to let any harm come to you. Uh-oh. It's Woody. He's my friend, too, doctor. Here's the stuff, doctor. Him. Woody, I've been an awful dope all my life. You know that, Woody? Uh, it's okay, Harry. You're going to be okay from now on. The doc here, my friend here, I didn't like him when he first came into the room. Why? Because he wasn't an American or even an Englishman. What do you know about that, huh? He's my friend. Oh, it's okay, Harry. You're going to be okay now, boy. I've been a... Prize dope. Mr. Woods, you'll have to help me. Right. He pulled a prescription pad out of his case, tore the cardboard backing off, and twisted it into a neat little funnel. He laid this on the edge of the bed. And then he took the piece of hollow rubber tubing, which had been used as a tourniquet, and he began to slide it under the sheet. It went in where the sheet ended, across Harry's chest, and he slid it down. He slid it slowly, so slowly that... Although I was watching it, I didn't see it move. Hours seemed to crawl by. The tube inched invisibly on and down, down and down, past the unseen buttons of his jacket, past the unseen cord to his trousers, and then it stopped. Ganderby had sent it by a route which did not cross any of the creases in the sheet. He was being very careful not to prod the snake with it. He was sweating too now, sweating and biting his lip with his teeth. Funny, I remember now, one was gold. I remember staring at it while he inched that tube. Now the funnel. I fit it into the end of the tube and we are ready. Mr. Pope, this is going to be very cold. The evaporation of the chloroform will cause a sharp lowering of the temperature. You must be prepared for this. Mm. It will take rather a long time, another factor for which you must prepare yourself. The snake is a reptile, and reptiles do not react quickly to the anesthetics which are intended for the use of warm-blooded animals. Mm. Bear these things in mind. Are you ready? Sure, friend. He opened the bottle and began to drip the stuff into the funnel. Slowly, very slowly, drop by drop, the clear liquid entered the tube and traveled the long, dark route to Harry Pope's stomach, where the crate lay sleeping. Drop by drop, a pale, swirling vapor hung over the funnel. Down there on the sheet, where the tube ended, a wet gray patch began to spread, the chloroform spreading and evaporating, spreading and evaporating. The room began to reek of it. And I remembered other places and other times. Hospitals, operations, the death of loved ones, smell of chloroform. Mm. Harry began to twitch now. His nose, he mm. seemed to be in agony. Woody. Harry, what is it? I think I'm gonna sneeze. Don't do it, boy. Hang on, Harry. Mm. You gotta hang on. Don't. Ganderby looked at Harry's face. He reached up, pressed his knuckle against some nerve on Harry's upper lip, and the agonized look vanished. The relentless dripping of the chloroform continued. Harry was getting cold. I could see goose flesh along his arms, across the top of his chest where the jacket was open. Ganderby looked at this and stopped pouring. That is enough. I think our little friend should be thoroughly unconscious now. Mr. Pope, you must remain very still. We are going to remove the sheet now. Anything you say, Doctor. Mr. Woods, you take the other side. We will have to do this ever so carefully. We each took a side of the hymn. I watched Ganderbein did everything that he did. Harry's arms were still flat on the bed, pointing toward his feet. We inched the sheet under and free of these. It was rough, because we had to do it without disturbing the main area of the sheet. When it was free of his arms, we began to raise it slowly, gathering the material in our hands as we progressed ever so slowly down Harry's chest. We reached the end of his jacket. No sign of the snake. My hands were beginning to shake. 
gander by paused while I turned my head away for air. The odor of chloroform was stifling. And then we went on, slowly, thread by thread, raising the sheet and easing it away, down past the cord of his pajamas, and down and down, and still no sign of the snake. I'd stopped looking for it by now. I was concentrating on keeping my arms from shaking. And then, quite suddenly, we were done. Ganderby dropped the sheet on the floor. Harry lay on his back, not moving, but watching us with wide, terrorized eyes. Ganderby squinted at both sides of Harry, at his legs. Where is it? It is not as you suppose on the outside of your pajama pens. It must be up one of the legs. <sighs> Harry, no, you fool! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I don't see it. Kick those tatters of cloth, the remains of his pants. Yeah. No, nothing. The bed. Under the bed. Yeah. Look at me, Harry. Harry, move your feet. No, there's nothing. Mr. Pope, are you are you quite certain you saw a snake? Sometimes when we are very tired, we find our autosuggestive faculties run a, a bit out of hand. Are you calling me a liar? Why, no, no. I merely say that the autosuggestive are faculties... Are you? Are you telling me I'm a liar? Harry. Why, you lousy little quack. Call me a liar. You stink a little Hindu witch doctor with your fancy pants talk. Harry! Come in here sticking me for you cheap, no good medicine. Harry, don't! Pour that freezing cold up all over Harry, me. take it easy. Harry's your friend. My friend? That little hunk of foreign trash, my friend. Why, where I come from, where you guys live, Kanky, like him for busboys. You make a mistake. You are wrong. Yeah, for busboys, for waiters, for nothing. You're a foreigner. You're a gook. You're a nothing. Why, I would have beat you to a bloody pulp. You and your chloroform. Yeah. You and your stuff about friendship and mama snake. And I must make out like I like you. Out to split your head wide open, you gook! You gook! You gook! You gook! Please, doctor. Forgive him. He's been under a great strain. He doesn't mean it. A great strain, yes. He needs a good... holiday. Good night, Mr. Woods. That's all. I couldn't tell this if old Harry was still alive. Poor old Harry. He didn't die in India. He died in Chicago. In the loop. Got run over by a taxi cab. The driver was third generation Irish. A real hundred percent white American. Maybe that means something. I don't know. Poor old Harry. Believe it or not, but the very life of your car depends on oil. Without oil, your motor would grind itself to pieces in a matter of minutes. That's why you need an oil that stands up under every driving condition. That's why you need Rich Lube All-Weather Motor Oil. Rich Lube is refined 100% from the finest Pennsylvania crude oil ever discovered. That's your guarantee that Rich Lube won't burn up even under the terrific heat of hard summer driving. Its tough, long-lasting oil film is your faithful watchdog. It protects your motor every mile you drive. You can depend on it. Moreover, Rich Lube motor oil combats carbon and other harmful deposits by its special cleansing action. It cleans as it lubricates your motor. Keep your motor young. Keep your motor clean. See your Richfield gasoline dealer tomorrow. Ask him to change your oil to Rich Lube all-weather motor oil. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight is presented Poison by Roald Dahl and adapted for radio by James Poe. Featured in tonight's cast were Jack Webb as Woody, Bill Conrad as Harry, Jane Novello as Ganderby, and Charlie Long as the houseboy. Special music arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week. You are lost in the headhunter territory of New Guinea, fighting your way through the swamps in search of gold. With you 
is a giant brute of a man and his beautiful wife who doesn't care which of you is killed or who kills him and from whose evil treachery there is no escape. Next week at this time, the Richfield Oil Corporation of New York invites you to escape with an exciting story of evil and violence in the deadly swamps of New Guinea, as Jules Archer tells it in Two Came Back. Goodbye then until the same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. Tom Hanlon speaking over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.